Lonely deaths, digital funerals and mass graves epitomize death in the age of the coronavirus. Since the outbreak of the pandemic, more than 300,000 people have died globally and social distancing measures have upended the way we think about and mourn the dead. While the mounting death toll is proof of the vastness of lives lost, it also highlights how countries are struggling to handle the logistics involved in disposing dead bodies. Have our systems failed in handling the main thing viruses produce? Dead bodies? Among the grim daily death tolls and figuring out how to mourn our loved ones, have we overlooked how to manage the human corpse? The first person I ask is Hasina Zaman, a funeral director in her 50s and the CEO of Compassionate Funerals, which operates out of East London. Since COVID-19 peaked, Ms. Zaman's workload has quadrupled and she reveals how managing dead bodies and catering to the needs of families who have lost their loved ones has been a challenge. So normally we would have probably about 20 calls a month. So that's like five calls a, a week. Um, but like just to give you an idea, last month we had um, 60 calls. Yeah, I mean, that doesn't sound a lot, but it, it does in the sense that for us, because we're a small practice, um, so and it just showed that the amount of people that was dying basically and they needed our services like immediately. I'd say probably about 50 of them are COVID. In terms of COVID-19, I think it's still very, very new. It's a new experience for us. The British government has issued a set of guidelines for managing funerals which restrict the number of mourners per body to a maximum of 10 people. In addition, they ban all open casket funerals or funerals in venues which are not equipped for social distancing. While adapting to the new guidelines wasn't a problem for Ms. Zaman and her team, she says coping with the stigma surrounding COVID corpses is something she wasn't prepared for. There was this lady, she was like one of the first funerals that I did and her husband was only 42 and he had cancer because she just kept crying and crying and crying. I couldn't even make head or tails of what, what was going on. You know, it was so difficult. And, um, and in the end, I just said to her, like, what, you know, just tell me about the cancer. And she could talk about that, but she couldn't talk. You know, it was too painful to talk about the COVID-19, that, that he died from that. And so I said, so what, what happened then? And she said, oh, he had to have surgery because there was some bleeding. And then I said, well, do you think that he died from this? And she said, no, I don't think so. All I know that he, I think he just died from his cancer. And they've just said he died from COVID-19. So we've had a lot of these sort of reports. And I'll just sort of reassure them. I said, well, that's what you think, that he died from. You just have to accept that in your heart. And But we have to, because on the, um, the certificate for cremation and burial, it actually is handwritten on there, COVID-19. They just put C-19, not even COVID-19. That all of these changes has, has happened and um, I can just sense in people's voices that there's a little bit of, of you know, people feel ashamed or uh, embarrassed. Such a stigma around human corpses dates way back to before corona times. I caught up with Dr. John Troyer, 
the director of the Center for Death and Society at the University of Bath and the author of the book Technologies of the Human Corpse. I think many people are concerned that the dead bodies are carriers of a virus. They are themselves contagious. However, increasingly based on the studies that are being done, and we need more studies, it, that's that's not so much an issue. It does it doesn't appear that that the bodies are are in, infectious in any way. But that doesn't stop the stigma. But we have other stigmas too, right? There's a stigma around suicide. There's a stigma around drug addiction. Right now, we're in a moment of stigma to a certain extent, which I think is is understandable but unwarranted. But still, I understand why families do it around something like COVID nineteen. We're in a moment now where it doesn't matter what your family member dies from; your funeral will be handled as if the individual had died from complications from COVID nineteen, and that 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 would be the um, the guidance that will be going forward. Th that is also a legacy from AIDS, which is HIV AIDS changed how dead bodies were handled within within the funeral industry so that all dead bodies would be handled as if they could be carriers of HIV or other diseases. Stigmas aside, from Wuhan to Bergamo, New York to Rio de Janeiro, the virus has increased the strain on the systems dealing with the logistics of corpses. While most countries have long and detailed procedures when it comes to burying or cremating bodies, with detailed steps for each party involved, from the doctor charged with confirming a death to the companies operating the refrigeration systems, funeral homes, medical examiners or coroners, countries haven't necessarily been trained in handling a surging death rate, let alone a pandemic. In densely populated countries like Ecuador, cemeteries have been overwhelmed with dead bodies. As a result, many corpses have been piling up on the streets. Another challenge has been handling repatriations of corpses. With international borders closed and flights operating mainly to transport freight and medical aid, funeral directors like Hasina Zaman have had to delay repatriations. We've got somebody who died who's from um, Turkey, he was visiting here, his family, and he died of a heart attack. But then, but the paramedics said that he had COVID-19. We're like six weeks in, and because he didn't have uh, paperwork, or he had his passport, he didn't have a GP, he didn't have um, lots of other things, it was been, it's been taken us a good part of six weeks to get all the paperwork organised to be issued more than anything by this PMART team so he can be flown back to his home country and have the funeral there. He's of Muslim background, and he would ordinarily have the funeral the following day or that day. You know, it says in the Quran that do not hasten the burial. So we have had that. And that's, that's as a result of the pandemic because you just can't access any services. You can't access any, you know, ordinarily you would have an interim GP or you would it would go to the coroners. I mean, it has gone to coroners in the sense that we have to get something called uh, a certificate. It's called the out of England. We have to get permission from the coroner to take the body out of England. Only paperwork that's taken so long. Last, I got an update on the case that I'm not actually working on the case, my colleague is. She was saying that um, we need a mortuary passport and that could take up a whole couple of days to, to get one of those. Because um, he so-called died from COVID-19. It it's an infectious disease. Then we had to go and get some a letter called, you know, uh, an infectious disease certificate. Well, I've never, ever heard of that, ever. Mm -hmm. 
In many countries, people from immigrant communities like the Mexicans in the US and Muslims in Europe and around the world prefer to bury or cremate their loved ones in their homeland. But the pandemic has put a halt to most international travel, including that of deceased persons' traditional rights, which can be traumatic for many families. But the Netherlands may have found a way to continue religious mourning rituals despite the unusual circumstances caused by COVID-19. The Dutch government is collaborating with local religious leaders of immigrant communities to carry out burials within the country, which solves the issue of repatriations to the homeland. Ben Voss is the coordinator of repatriations at an international funeral home in the Netherlands and explains how it works. It is very, very difficult to transport the bodies at the moment. Uh, when the pandemic come, um, we had thought that we can fly in one, a month or a month and a half. Uh, that it was not uh, possible. So we have decided to, to bury here in the Netherlands. So uh, what you have can do in the Netherlands is that you can uh, bury your uh, family. And after 10 years, then is it allowed to uh, break up the grave and bring the body uh, as well to the homeland. If that have we done in the time that we not can fly to Afghanistan and Iraq of Iran, when there was a war and we not can fly with the, with the deceased person, we have buried here in Netherlands for 10 years. And after the 10 years, we do have the reputations. And what about the ashes? Can you at least give that now? Yes, when you were cremated here in the Netherlands, you can pick the ashes up and uh, bring it with you when there is a flight to the homeland. Mr. Was, what do you think would make your job easier? Only what I want is that the governments give permission that we can bodies bring back in in uh, in freight or not in pe- uh, passengers' uh, flights, but air flights where where uh, stuff is going. Turkish Airlines, they they do it on freight flights back to Istanbul. When the, when the pandemic is coming again, I hope that we can send the bodies by freight. Mr. Voss has also been organizing meetings with the Association of Imams in the Netherlands and local leaders to discuss how to cater to the needs of their respective communities when it comes to repatriations. Though the Dutch rule allows burials for 10 years, it is a suboptimal solution for people from the Muslim faith which stipulates that burials should be forever. But under the current circumstances, the less orthodox imams in the country have issued a notice which states that Muslims can bury their dead in Islamic graveyards in the country or in Islamic sections of public graveyards as an exception to the rule. Musan Kokhtas, the chairman of the Contact Body for Muslims and Government, explains how these corona burials take place in the Netherlands. In Netherlands, there is a special places in, in uh, some uh, cemeteries for special for Muslims, but it's not uh, forever. Uh, after yeah. ten years, if you don't pay, uh, then your uh, uh, place, uh, cemetery place, uh, will be taken by somebody else. But uh, during the COVID-19 virus in some uh, cities, the city governments uh, uh, showed some places for Muslims because the, the, the taking the bodies is not possible to their 
home countries. Are families accepting this new rule easily? Actually, the third and fourth generations, uh, they are uh, not the same ideas about the home country as we uh, do, because their home country is in the Netherlands, actually. That is what uh, changed their idea about the, the funerals. Also many yeah. other things. And they say, uh, we, we are uh, Dutch Muslims. I am yeah. Dutch Turkish Muslim, uh, or yeah. I am Dutch Moroccan Muslim. Dr. John Troyer believes such flexibility just goes to show that religious systems adapt to change, especially in times of crisis. I think that, that COVID-19 is representing a, a really illustrative example of how different faith groups, and we could even, we could just speak of the Abrahamic families here, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, they have all adapted to a new understanding of rules regarding what can and can't be done with a dead body or what is allowed. And in, in a lot of ways, I think what this comes back to is, is something I, I had read a, an, an Orthodox Jewish rabbi say one time, sometimes God is okay with these things. It is quite possible for all faiths to adapt to what's going on. If this is the case, can we say that the pandemic has forced a more progressive or secular way of dealing with death on religious communities? You know, what pandemics do is they will always inflict changes into any system because they, particularly a novel virus, because suddenly there is, there is no defense or there are limited defenses. Uh, as a result, you're going to see things change uh, because the, the systems that had been stable will, will inevitably then be, be challenged. That's why coming back to you asked about the national death infrastructure. That to me is why it's so important. The national death infrastructure is a concept I invented a few years ago. It's a concept, but of but based around very real um, technologies, but also institutions that are in place to to manage dead bodies in any given nation. So the, the national death infrastructure idea was that in any nation large, small, medium, everything in between. There is an infrastructure in place that is both national, but also then very local to handle dead bodies. The, the infrastructure is crucial because it's largely invisible. Now, we become aware of the infrastructure when it breaks down and when suddenly the dead bodies become visible. And that's when we know it's there. And so I think what, what COVID-19 has really revealed is both this infrastructure itself, but also I think a lot of its weak points. What can we do to improve the management of dead bodies now, but also after Corona? There needs to be an understanding on the part of all governments that they have got to invest in and build robust systems for inevitable mortality spikes for people who contract the coronavirus. It just requires capital investment. There needs to be storage facilities. So cold storage. There needs to be access points. You need to rethink uh, how funerals are done. You need to invest in the building of new final disposition technologies. So that can be everything from crematorium to other methods of disposal, burial. There needs to be a rethinking on a scale of what we're talking about if different nations want to try and, and facilitate or support families in the way that they're used to. COVID-19 has shown us how our current systems are not sustainable to handle surging death rates. 
but it has highlighted the importance of coroners, funeral directors, funeral homes, religious leaders and all the workers who care for the deceased in offering countless families the emotional closure they need to move on after the passing of a loved one. So since I thought of your name it gets shivers down my spine Should have kissed you right there and then but I was young and scared to make you mine This story was produced and presented by Priyanka Shankar at Kano Creative Space for Coworking and Culture in Brussels Special thanks to Carol Hartog who composed the music for this story to listen to more stories from Arwe Europe, tune in to Arwe Europe Readouts on Spotify or wherever you get your daily dose of audio. My love out loud. You said I'm carrying a child. But oh, Betty Joe, it's been ages since I have heard your name. Oh, it's been so long ago. How are you doing, Betty Joe?